Well, as uh, Thomas said, we've got uh, new notebooks as we enter into the final part of our series called Storyline. Uh, they're kind of scattered in around the auditorium and the uh, seats in front of you. We got a few over here on this table and a few uh, on the back by the media table, by the media booth. And so grab one of those, take your notes, jot some notes down, uh, some God thoughts that, uh, that you uh, come up with as we go through this series, continue to go through this series together. So, um, well, we are uh, walking through the Bible uh, in our uh, series called Storyline, and we're looking at this thread that runs from beginning to end, from Genesis to Revelation, that points us to Jesus. And we finally have gotten to the New Testament. Last week, we landed uh, on, the, uh, at, on the birth of Jesus, and Kyle did an incredible job uh, of, of talking about the significance of, of the birth of Jesus and what that means for us. And I know, I know it was a little difficult uh, to sing some Christmas songs when it's 111 degrees outside. All right, but uh, but Christmas, the message of Christmas really is uh, to be heard and celebrated and embraced all year long. And maybe for some of you, it's like, oh, I've got to get on that Christmas shopping, you know, kind of deal. Um, but um, but today. Uh, we're going to continue looking at the life of Jesus because everything we've talked about in the Old Testament, it points us to Jesus. And today we're going to look at the baptism of Jesus. And uh, we're going to see three things uh, in, in, our, in our text today. Let me just give them to you up front. Uh, you can write them down in your new journal if you want, or you can uh, continue to take notes on your phone or in the old journals. But three things that we're going to see today uh, in, in our text is we're going to see the world of love that God created, okay, the world of love that he created, uh, how we enter into that love, and how we go out into the world. So we're going to look at the world of love uh, that God created. We're going to look at how you and I can enter into that love, and then how are we to go out into the world. So if you have your Bibles this morning, turn to Mark chapter 1 this morning. Mark chapter 1. It's the second book of uh, the New Testament. So Matthew, Mark, if you didn't bring your Bibles, we're going to put it up on the screen for you. But Mark chapter 1, let's just jump in and look at this world of love that, that God created. And let's start, uh, let's start with verse 10, okay? So it says this. It says, just as Jesus was coming out, out of the water. Okay, so, so let's stop there. So we're talking about baptism, and the word that they use here in the Greek is baptizo, okay? And baptizo means to be submerged. It means to go underneath. Now, now there's also, uh, and it was really a word that was, you know, kind of used around for uh, recipes, really, uh, particularly a pickle recipe, is that you submerge the cucumber in a vinegar solution, and you get a pickle. But, um, but here, the word baptizo refers to going underneath, okay? And so Jesus is coming up out of the water. Now, there's also a Greek word that's used in other places uh, called reino, and it's, uh, it's more of a sprinkling uh, of water. But, but here, the word is baptizo. So Jesus, he's coming up out of the water, and he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And, the vo and a voice came from heaven, you are my son, whom I love, and with you I am well pleased. Now, uh, it's very rare for the Spirit of God to be described like a fluttering dove, okay? In fact, it, it's so rare that it only happens one other time in Scripture. And we have to go all the way back to Genesis 
chapter 1, verse 2. That Genesis chapter 1 says that, uh, that the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And this word hovering in the Hebrew, it literally means fluttering. And it's the word picture of likened to a dove. And so these are the only two places in the Bible where the Spirit of God is described this way. Now, now commentators uh, have uh, pointed out for centuries that there are several details that uh, the story of creation and the story of the baptism of Jesus have in common. Okay, both in Genesis chapter one and Mark chapter one, uh, obviously we have the Spirit of God. Okay, and the Spirit of God is not just there, but it's described as fluttering. Okay, both in Genesis one and Mark chapter one, we have water. Okay, uh, both in Genesis one and Mark chapter one, uh, we have the voice of God. Uh, in both chapters, we have Jesus, okay? Because in Genesis chapter one, it's the word of God, okay? That's how Jesus is described in scripture as the word of God. And we also have the Holy Spirit, obviously. And so um, the, the baptism, Jesus's baptism, it, uh, it represents a new creation, which means that the work of Jesus, that Jesus was sent to this world to live the life that you and I cannot live, and that's to live out this perfectly, okay? And I think we would all say, hey, I've already messed up, okay? I, I, I cannot live this word out, God's law out perfectly. And so Jesus came to live the life that you and I can't live, and he came to die the death that you and I deserve because we, we have not lived out this word perfectly. And so Jesus, the baptism of Jesus is a new creation, which means the work of Jesus is to renew and to rescue, okay? That one of the main missions of Jesus was to come and rescue us and renew our souls, renew our spirits. And, and the other job of Jesus that, that he will come back and do is to renovate all things, so the job of Jesus, the role of Jesus, the, the mission of Jesus is to come and renew and rescue our lives, rescue our lives from sin, to renew us and uh, create a way so that you and I can have a right relationship with the Father and to one day come back and renovate all things, which means that all things that have been stolen from us, all things that have been wrecked from us, that have been taken from us uh, because of sin, okay? So death, death was never part of the original equation, okay? Sickness, disease, poverty, racism, all these things were never part of the original equation in, this, in the world that God created, this world of love that God created. And one day Jesus will come back and he will, re he will renovate all things and make them as they were supposed to be in the first place. And so as Christians, we hold on to that hope. So in the baptism of Jesus, we see this relationship, this dynamic relationship between the Father and the Son. That Jesus, baptizo, he's under the water. He comes out of the water. And immediately, the first thing we hear is a word of adoration. That we hear the Father say, you are my son whom I love and with you I am well pleased. John 17 says that the role of the son is to glorify the father. John 16 says the work of the spirit is to, is to honor and uh, to bring honor and glory to the son. 
And what we see at the heart of God, what we see at the heart of the Trinity, and when I say the Trinity, we're talking about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three persons in one. I do not understand it. I cannot explain it. Ask Kyle to explain it to you. Okay, but we accept it by faith. Okay, the Trinity, three in one. That what we see at the essence of God is we see this, the dynamic of a loving relationship. This loving relationship in the Trinity. That we see mutual adoration. We see this deep commitment to bring honor and love and glory to one another. Now, to glorify something... Or to glorify someone is to make that object, that thing, or that, um, or that person uh, to give them like supreme importance. But to glorify something or someone is to find it or them so beautiful that you would wrap your entire life around that person or around that object. That, that you love it or you, or you love this person just for their beauty, okay? It's not, for, it's not for function that you love them. It's not for benefit that you love them or love it. It is simply just for beauty. For instance, how many of you have been to the Grand Canyon? Anybody been to the Grand Canyon? Okay, a few of us. I've never been to the Grand Canyon, okay? I've heard it's beautiful, okay? And, and, and for those of you who have seen it firsthand, you've seen, you've beholden the beauty of the Grand Canyon. It is spectacular, right? So beautiful. Um, but nobody ever makes any money going to the Grand Canyon, right? I mean, they're, they're, you, don't, you don't make money. In fact, you spend money to go to the Grand Canyon and you can spend a lot of money going to the Grand Canyon. But yet, over 5 billion visitors a year make the journey to the Grand Canyon. Why? Because it's beauty. Just to go and to stand and to look at the vastness, at the majesty of, uh, of, and the beauty of the Grand Canyon. To glorify someone is to say when I'm around you, every agenda that I have, every selfish ambition, every selfish motive that I have just melts away. And I want to give everything I have to love and honor and serve and bring you the attention that you deserve. And that's what's going on in the Trinity, the Fa God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit, each person glorifying and loving the other. And this is what this means for this, for us, is that this world was created out of an outpouring of that loving relationship. Everything in this world, including you and I, were created as an outpouring as an overflow of this loving dynamic of a relationship. And what that means is that God did not create the world and create us to, so that he could have subjects to lord over. 
He didn't create the world and create us to have someone lift him up and puff him up because he needed to feel more important. God doesn't need anything. He doesn't need us, but he created us, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, out of this loving dynamic, out of the overflow of that, created us because he loves us. It says in Genesis chapter 2, let us... Us make man in our image. That's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Out of this communion, out of this relationship, out of this love that we have for one another, let us make mankind in this loving image of ours. So we are hardwired for for relationship. And so that's that's this world of love that he created. Let's talk about how do we enter into that love. Let's back up to verses four and five. It says, and so John the Baptist, okay? Now they didn't call him John the Baptist because he didn't drink and he couldn't dance, okay? I mean, I grew up Baptist, okay? Um, but they called him John the Baptist because that's what he did. He went around baptizing people, baptizo, dunking people, taking them underneath the water. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism. Get ready to read along with me here. Preaching a baptism of, what is that word? What is that word? That was his whole message. That was his whole message. Repent for the kingdom of God is near. Repent for the kingdom of God is near. Now let's pray and go home. That was the message. And so he says that he was preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. In the Judean countryside, the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him confessing their sins, they were baptized, baptizo, baptized by him in the Jordan River. Now, how do you and I enter into this world of love, this this dynamic, this loving relationship with our Heavenly Father? That there is a call for you and I to repent. See, one of the main features of first century Jewish worship um, was all the ceremonial uh, ritual cleansings, washings that they would go through. Um, and they did this as a representation that they were sinful and unclean and to go before a holy God, they needed to purify themselves. So there's several different kinds of first century uh, washings or cleansings. You know, one was they would dip their, their hands, uh, you know, and their arms up to their elbows in water and, and kind of let them dry. Sometimes you had to go and wash your entire body. But, but, but it was a symbol. It was a, it was a ritual, a ceremonial to say, I recognize that I'm sinful, that I'm unclean, and I need to cleanse myself to stand before a holy God. Now, never in uh, first century Jewish worship was there a call to be baptized, okay? And the reason why is because Jewish people felt like they were at least somewhat clean because they came from the line of Abraham. They were part of God's chosen nation. However, the Gentiles, okay, the Gentiles were considered unclean. And the Gentile, a Gentile is someone who, who was not born Jewish. Your, your, your mother wasn't Jewish and your father wasn't Jewish and you were born, you were considered a Gentile. And probably the majority of us 
are Gentiles. We did not, we were not born Jewish, okay? And Gentiles by the Jews were considered unclean. Yet here in, in, in the Mark chapter one, John the Baptist puts out a call of repentance for everyone to repent and be baptized, Jew and Gentile. And what that means is our greatest need is forgiveness of sin. Now, it may not be our, our most felt need, and we'll talk about this in a couple of weeks. It may not be, you know, at the top of our felt needs, but our greatest, deepest need is forgiveness of sin. And it doesn't matter if we grew up moral and, uh, and religious or we grew up immoral and irreligious. It doesn't matter if we've been coming to church our entire life or we've been running from God our entire life. It does not matter. In fact, let's just say that together. It does not matter. Let's say that. It does not matter because you and I, every single person on the face of the planet is in the same hopeless situation because of our sin and we are all in desperate need for forgiveness. And at some level, we all know that. At some level, we all know that we are unrighteous and that we need to make ourselves clean and acceptable to God. And, and, and so we kind of go off on these journeys to try to make ourselves acceptable and clean and prove ourselves worthy to, you know, to other people or to ourselves or, or to God. And so maybe, maybe, you know, maybe to do that, to kind of tip the scale our way, we do that through you know, moral, uh, you know, moral record or maybe modified behavior or a religious resume or spiritual social circles or maybe it's you know accomplishment or you know titles or you know that come before your name or or you know it it, it could be whatever to make or maybe it's relationship status it's whatever to make us feel better about ourselves and hopefully that gives us a better chance with God but what we all know, and you don't need a preacher to tell you this, is that the pursuit of worldly things never truly satisfies our souls. And listen, it's not wrong to want to be satisfied. You and I, we are created with this God-sized chasm in our souls, and we want that to be filled. The problem is, is that we are too easily satisfied with the things of the world, Kind of thought I'd get an amen on that, but it's okay. So I don't need your approval. I don't need your approval. But we're too easily satisfied. And you and I both know that the pursuit of worldly things never gives us the approval that we're looking for. And so the baptism of Jesus is for all of those that are unclean because of sin and are in desperate need of forgiveness, which means that the baptism of Jesus is for all of us. Now, I want to be real clear here, okay? Baptism does not make us clean. Being baptized does not make us saved or forgiven. That baptism is a ceremonial reflection of what's gone on on the inside. It's an outward symbol of what's happened in our souls and our hearts and our minds. It's going public with our decision to say that Jesus is God and he's Lord and I have sin in my heart that separates me from God and I've put my faith and my confidence in him. That happens first 
And then as our first act of obedience to be like Jesus, we're then baptized. So it does, being baptized doesn't make us more forgiven. It doesn't make us more holy. It doesn't make us more righteous. That happens when we put our faith in Jesus, period. Because this isn't a works doctrine. We're not going to work our way into God's good graces. It is by the sovereign grace of God that he has provided a way for you and I to have a relationship with him through faith in Jesus Christ. So let's not confuse the act of baptism with anything that's required for forgiveness of sins. Faith in Jesus alone gives us forgiveness of sins. And all of us have to go to him and repent of our sin and repent of trying to make ourselves clean and acceptable. And when we do that, we are forgiven of all of our sin in the past, all the sin that we're doing now, and all the sin we hadn't got to yet. And when we put our faith in Jesus, we experience the unconditional love and we are cleansed and we are forgiven and we have a new life. Now that leads us to this final step of how do we get into, how do we go out into the world? Look at verses 12 and 13. It said, at once the Spirit sent Jesus into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by Satan. And that's, where we're gonna, that's what we're going to talk about next week. We're going to talk about three temptations that every single one of us face. And he was with wild animals and the angels attended him. Now the Gospel of Mark, it was written during a time period that Christians were being persecuted and even executed for their faith. Some Christians were, were, were being beheaded. Some were being boiled to death. Some were being you know, burned at the stake. Some were being put into an arena with wild animals. And because of this persecution, many people said, I didn't sign up for that, and they left the faith. But many people were encouraged by Mark's words because they were, they were experiencing a wilderness in themselves. And, and, and Jesus went into the wilderness. And in the wilderness, he was assaulted. He was tempted. He was surrounded by wild animals. But he emerged with an unshakable relationship with the Father as a result. And that leads us to three implications. And let me just give them to you quickly. And then we'll respond in worship. But implication number one is this. If the world is a wilderness. And you know that. The world is full of pain. Full of disappointment. Full of rejection. Betrayal. And, and our wilderness may not be a desert like Jesus. It may not be thrown into an arena of wild animals. But our wilderness may be a doctor's office waiting on the lab reports. Our wilderness may be hearing the words, you have cancer. Our wilderness may be a season of loneliness or being rejected or being forgotten. Our, our, our wilderness may be, you know, walking into our boss's office and him or her telling us that we're, our services are no longer needed and our, the company's going a different route and we're not involved in those future plans and our wilderness is a season of unemployment. 
Maybe our wilderness is a is an adult son or daughter who's chosen not to continue in their faith journey. Maybe our wilderness is looking at um, a pile of bills and in, in seeing that there is more month than there is money. Maybe our wilderness is a marriage that's fallen apart. Maybe our wilderness is, is, is there ever going to be anyone that will love me and accept me? Our wilderness experiences are painful and they're hard and they're difficult. But, but the good news is, is that we have a Savior who also knows what it's like to be in the wilderness. Implication number two as if the wilderness is where we experience God the most. And that's the good news. That it's in those difficult wilderness moments when we experience God's presence the most. It's the wilderness is the place of tremendous love and comfort and strength. And that's what sustains us. And for the follower of Jesus Christ, the wilderness is not a moment of punishment. If you are in Christ, you are not being punished. But it's a time of intimacy. It's not a time that God is trying to drive you away from him. It's a time that God is trying to draw you near to him. That all through the Old Testament, and we just went through a pretty big chunk of it, all through the Old Testament, when the people of Israel were wandering around in the wilderness, or David is running for his life from King Saul because King Saul wants to murder him, or the prophet Elijah or, or Jonah is on the run from God or on the run from, uh, from, from a, you know, a king or a queen who wants to persecute him. It is a tremendous time of intimacy with God. You know that, I mean... Every single one of us knows what it's like when life is going good, right? I mean, it's just good. The kids are doing good. Work's going good. You know, for whatever reason, you're clicking with the relationships in your life, your family dynamics. Good. It's just good. And when somebody says, hey, how you doing? And you say, good, you really mean it. It's good. You're not trying to dodge a question. It's really good. But it seems like, I don't know about you, but in my life, when things are going good, it's just kind of a lot of noise that it's really hard at those points for me to hear God because I'm not as dependent upon him. But it's in those moments of the wilderness that it's almost like God could whisper our name and speak to us so softly to our hearts. So the wilderness is where we experience God the most. And the third implication is that the wilderness is where we have to depend on him the most. And as most of you know, last weekend, Sarah and I, we took, we took Addie uh, down to Austin to drop her off for college. And she's had an amazing week this week, thank God. Uh, going through Rush and all that. And um, I'm a little jealous because mom gets all the text messages and the phone calls. I've, I've gotten nothing other than, can I use the credit card tonight? <laughs> we 
But as I've been kind of processing, and I did great last week, so thank you for checking up on me. Uh, Man, last weekend was a lot of fun setting up our dorm, and I held it together until the last 10 minutes, okay? And then we could not even get a picture of us because I'm crying, all right? Um, But as I've been processing this all week, I'm like, man, this is my little girl. This is my little girl who... Ever since she was six months and her mother was diagnosed with cancer, I changed every diaper. I, I, I did all the midnight and 2 a.m. feedings. And I've spent the last 18 years of her life trying to protect her and trying to do things for her, trying to make her life easier. And sometimes to a fault of, yes, I'll bring that homework up to your school. And yes, I'll bring that forgotten lunch. And yes, I'll bring you a milkshake because your braces are too tight. And then I realize I'm leaving her three hours away and in Austin and I can't protect her anymore. As I'm processing this and praying through this, it's almost God says to me, it never was you in the first place. (laughs) And he's right. But it's in these moments of wilderness that we have to depend on him the most. And he will walk with us to the valley of shadow of death. He will sustain us in the desert. He will deliver us from the lion's den. And he will meet us in the furnace. Now listen, it may not work out the way we want it to work out. But in the midst of that wilderness, we will find him there. See, we are sent into the wilderness to become a new creation. To experience new dependency. To experience new life. That's what baptism represents. That when we put our faith in Jesus, it's, it's we're being buried with Christ and raised to walk in a new life. We're, we're being buried of, with Christ of seeking approval from others and raised to have our approval with him. We're being buried to find our significance in the things in the world and raised to find our significance in who he says we are. We're being buried to, uh, of that, uh, that old way of life of trying to find security in the things of the world and raised to a new life of finding security in him. That's what baptism is. Now, we won't hold you down under that long, but that's what baptism is. It's a representation that I am dead to my old self. Now, until I get to glory, I'm not going to be perfect. I'm still going to struggle with sin. I'm still going to sin. There's still sin that I have not gotten to yet. But as soon as I do sin, I want to repent of that. I want to say I'm sorry. I want every selfish agenda in my body to be to melted away. And I want to give everything I have to love you and serve you and show you how thankful and grateful I am for everything that you've done for me. That's, that's what baptism is about. And Jesus came and he, to bring life to the dead and sight to the blind and healing to the sick. And you and I were to take our new lives and be in a new creation and take all that Jesus is for us and all he's done for us and take that into the world and serve and love others. Now, as the band comes, and leads us into a time of response. I just want to say this. Hey, we intentionally, we didn't set up the baptism today. But our next baptism is on September 24th. And there are a lot of people in this room that need to be baptized. 
But we have a class. We have one on, we're going to do it twice, November, or September 10th and September 17th. And it's just a class to help you understand what baptism is and help you write your story. Because as you're getting baptized, you're, somebody's going to read your story. And so, and I know that some of you were baptized as a baby. In fact, I, I can't make this up. I went and picked up the donuts and the kolaches for the band and the volunteers this morning. Usually, usually that's Tanner. I go, and uh, one of the ladies who knows me, unfortunately, too well at Shipley's, um, says, hey, Pastor, what's your, what's your take on infant baptism? I'm not looking around for the cameras, you know. I said, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I mean, for people who are baptized as infants, their parents were, were honoring their religious traditions and the church's traditions, and that's fine. But Jesus was baptized as a man. Some of you men need to be baptized. And the scripture tells us that it's a believer's baptism. It's a baptism after you make a decision to follow Christ. That was your parents' decision. And I understand we can get into that of why they do that, and that's fine. But it's your decision. And so who needs to be baptized? Well, if you can answer yes to these questions differently, for maybe you were baptized as a teenager because that's just what your church did, or maybe your parents pressured you into doing it, or, or maybe all your friends were doing it, but, but, but your answers to these four questions hit a little different now. And so let me ask these four questions. Do you believe that Jesus is God? Yes. And I believed that back when I got baptized. Great. Do you believe that there is sin, that sin keeps you from God? Sin separates us from God. The consequence of sin is eternal death in hell. Say, yes, I, I believe that. I believe that sin separates me from my heavenly father. Third question is, have you asked Jesus to take your sin and give you his righteousness? Have you asked Jesus to take the curse of your sin and to give you the blessing of his obedience? Yes. And are you committing to follow Jesus? Not, not perfectly, but are you committing to follow Jesus for the rest of your life? some of us in this room we have a resounding yes now that we didn't have when we were baptized as a kid or a baby some of us have never been baptized but we would say because of what God has done in my heart over the last few years I can say yes to all those questions you need to be baptized I don't care if you're 13, 33 or 73 it's an act of obedience. It doesn't make us more forgiven or more saved. It just says to the church and it says to your family and friends, my allegiance is to Jesus. My allegiance is to him. And I want to be a part of the renovation of this fallen world and do everything I can to bring my life under his. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you so much. So much for Jesus. Thank you that there's nothing we can do to earn our way, but it is a gift of your sovereign grace on our lives. 
And would you make us so aware of our need for forgiveness? And Father, I pray for every child and teenager and man and woman that they would take this decision seriously and weigh it. And pride would not be a factor. That fear would not be a factor. That they wouldn't care what other people think, but they would care what you think. It's not even what we think. It's what you think. What you are calling them to do. And we pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Let's stand and let's respond.